Hey guys, Professor Bounce here. Let's get the YouTube things out of the way first. Please like and subscribe if you like talking about college basketball and especially the SEC. We talk basketball every Tuesday morning on the show and we hope to see you there. Now, let's get into it. What has been one of the strangest conversations we see on Twitter or across social media is trying to reason with what the net is telling people. Trust me, we've seen some bad takes on how it works. So to avoid making yourself look like you have no clue how it works, this is a down and dirty way to explain how this crazy system works and what it does. But before we look at the net, we need to go back to the dark ages, the dark and archaic times of 2018. Before the net was invented, the selection committee used an ancient system called the RPI, or the Rating Percentage Index. The RPI was introduced in 1981. The system was used to evaluate teams looking to get into the NCAA tournament, aka March Madness. So how was it calculated? First, you take 25% of the team's winning percentage. Next, take 50% of that team's opponent's average winning percentage, or OWP. The third step is to take 25% of the winning percentage of their opponent's opponent, double OWP. Lastly, you'll want to add all of those percentages up. The number you come up with is that team's RPI. Generally speaking, a low RPI indicates that a team is struggling to win games. Likewise, a high RPI shows that a team is winning games. However, if a team is in an easier conference than another, further analysis is necessary to review teams against each other. Clear as mud, right? If you're trying to do the math, don't worry about it. Someone has already done it for you, because these teams all get ranked against each other, so you can generally see how each team compares. So, what was the problem? Why did the NCAA feel a need for a change? In the rankings, 75% of the score is based simply on strength of schedule. Notice I didn't say winning in those games. Now look at the equation again. 25% is based on your team's record, then 50% on your opponent's average win percentage, then 25% of the winning percentage of your opponent's opponent's win percentage. That's where you get the 75%. 75% of everything has to do with your opponent's not you or your own team. In some ways, this is valuable in making which teams are beaten an important factor. Still, winning has to account for something. Take a look at this. Nebraska in 2013 ended the regular season as the number 100 team in the country, despite a 14-17 record. The Cornhuskers played one of the toughest schedules in the nation, but they finished with a 1-12 record against the top 50 teams, and most games were not even close. If you're following, you're starting to understand the problem. In theory, under the RPI system, a team could schedule an incredibly difficult schedule and win less than 50% of them, and somehow end up with a high enough RPI ranking that could put them in contention for the NCAA tournament. That might be an extreme case, but you see how the system was not necessarily putting the best teams in the NCAA tournament. Winning matters, 
just like who you play matters. So many of you have probably thought of a simple solution to this problem. Why not just watch all the basketball games and then evaluate them based on what you watched? And you would be correct. That is the best solution to solving this problem. But consider this. I'll put this in terms your general SEC fan understands, since we focus on SEC basketball primarily here. There are roughly 1,500 football games played in the regular season in Division I FBS level. That's a lot of games to begin with and might be able to be done by a committee. But basketball does not divide Division I into FCS and FBS like football. Instead, all of Division I is together. Then consider there are more basketball teams than football teams because basketball is a cheaper product to produce for a small school. A perfect example of this is the Big East Conference, which is composed primarily of basketball-only schools. So considering there are more than 350 Division I teams, and each of them play around 33 games in a given regular season, we're talking somewhere in the neighborhood of more than 5,800 games. To be exact, there were 5,826 games in the 2019 season. That means there are nearly four times as many basketball games a season than football. So considering that each game is about two hours long, that's 11,600 hours of basketball every season, or 486 days of basketball, compared to the 188 days it would take to watch football, given that each game would take about three hours to watch. Watching all those games would be a massive task, even for a committee. Now consider who's on the committee. It's not just a bunch of basketball lovers who have nothing else to do but college basketball. Instead, it's athletic directors and conference commissioners who definitely have other things going on throughout the course of the year to deal with. So since it would take you over a year to watch every single Division I basketball game, it's only logical that you need a system that would show what you're looking for in each and every team come Selection Sunday. And since the RPI isn't working properly to show you those things you're looking for, you have to build a new system. One that can be easily understood by its user to help evaluate all of those basketball games that are going on. That is why the net was born. What is the net? The net rankings, NCAA evaluation tool, are used to look at a team's record and resume in order to evaluate that team and rank them against others. The net ranking system was improved in the summer of 2018 after consultation with the Division I Men's Basketball Committee, the National Association of Basketball Coaches, top basketball analytics experts, and Google Cloud Professional Services. The net includes more components than just winning percentage. It takes into account game results, strength of schedule, game location, scoring margin, net offensive and defensive efficiency, and the quality of wins and losses. It's both a results-driven and predictive metric. Game date and game order were not included in the net rankings, so a team's first game counts the same as its 30th. This part has been something of controversy, but you can understand the desire to use it. Take, for instance, Vanderbilt in 2023. The Commodores got extremely hot in SEC and were playing some of the best basketball in the conference at the end of the season. But, because Vanderbilt played so poorly in the non-conference, 
it counted against them come Selection Sunday. And thus, the Commodores did not make the NCAA tournament. But as a fan, you're probably saying, isn't it better to have the hottest teams in the tournament? And that's a valid argument. But because games matter the same in November as they do in February, it increases the importance of non-conference games, giving more interest to games happening throughout the year to fans. And in reverse, if games mattered less in November, then teams wouldn't be incentivized as much to play better opponents in the non-conference, because beating those teams would ultimately matter less. Imagine if Alabama's victory over Houston last year mattered less than its victory over LSU in conference play. It wouldn't be fair to Alabama, who scheduled a harder game earlier in the season. Prioritizing the end of season in comparison to the beginning of the season would ultimately do more harm to the viewership of college basketball. So, like it or not, this is how the net breaks down. Since the net rankings serve as a primary sorting tool for Division I men's basketball, they play an important role in establishing a team's resume. Using the quadrant system, which was in its fourth season in 2020-2021, the quality of wins and losses would be organized based on game location and the opponent's net ranking. Everybody buckle up. This is nothing hard, but there's a lot here. Quadrant 1, home 1 to 30, neutral 1 to 50, away 1 to 75. Quadrant 2, home 31 to 75, neutral 51 to 100. Away, 76 to 135. Quadrant 3, home 76 to 160. Neutral, 101 to 200. Away, 135 to 240. Quadrant 4, home 161 to 353. Neutral, 201 to 353. Away, 241 to 353. The number of Quadrant 1 wins and Quadrant 3 and 4 losses will be incredibly important when it comes time for NCAA tournament selection and seeding. So let's take two teams that had very different situations coming into Selection Sunday. One of these teams had no real shot of making the NCAA tournament, despite what you heard on TV. And one team that was in absolutely no danger of missing the tournament, despite what you may have heard from some <clears throat> fans. Why look at these teams? Because one team had a decent showing in conference play at the end of the year. The other? Not so much. The teams? Vanderbilt, who was 11-7 in the SEC and were tied by record for 4th in the SEC. And Arkansas, who finished tied for 9th by record in the SEC at 8-10. Now, yes, officially Arkansas finished 10th by tiebreaker and Vanderbilt finished 6th, but that's not important to this conversation. Now, if you know your basketball, then you know who made the tournament and who didn't. Arkansas made the NCAA tournament, while Vanderbilt did not. That's right. Where you finish in conference play has no bearing on your NCAA tournament berth. I'm going to emphasize this again for the people in the back. Your conference record matters zero. Nada. Zilch. Nothing. No bearing. Zip. Not a thing. No way. No how. 0.0000000% in your chances of making the NCAA tournament. Sorry, certain people need to hear that. I apologize if you're not one of them, but it's exhausting hearing that argument about why a team shouldn't make the tournament over and over again. So Arkansas, who made the tournament, went 6-11 in Quad 1 games. 
They went 3-2 in Quad 2, 10-1 in Quad 3, and 3-0 in Quad 4. Not the best season, but it was good enough to earn them an 8 seed in the NCAA tournament. They were the number 20 team in the net. Vanderbilt, on the other hand, went 5-11 in Quad 1, 7-1 in Quad 2, 5-2 in Quad 3, and 5-1 in Quad 4. Vanderbilt finished 81st in the net and did not make the tournament. So how did Vandy not make the tournament despite finishing with a conference record, which again plays no bearing, more Quad 2 wins, and a somewhat comparable Quad 1 record? But Arkansas did. Well, remember why I said earlier, Quadrant 3 and 4 losses will be incredibly important when it comes time for NCAA tournament selection and seeding? Vanderbilt had one Quad 4 and two Quad 3 losses. Arkansas had one Quad 3 loss. Now, there's more to it when you consider the scoring margins and net offensive and defensive efficiency. But the most important thing to take away here in this comparison is the very simple rule. If you beat a good team, the net will reward you. If you schedule a good team and lose, the net won't punish you, or at least as much. If you schedule a bad team and win, the net won't move much. If you schedule a bad team and lose, the net will murder your season. So the best thing you can do for yourself is follow either the Nate Oates model or the Eric Musselman model. If you're Nate Oates, schedule traditional good teams in non-conference like Gonzaga and Houston. Or, if you're Eric Musselman, try to figure out who's going to be the best performing mid-majors and schedule them for some of your weaker non-conference opponents, like UNC Asheville or Bradley. And odds are, a couple will dominate their conference and be an NCAA tournament team. The Oates model builds a strong resume with little risk, while the Musselman model requires extensive research on your potential opponents and relies on the hope they will perform as expected. Either way, these models help build an impressive resume in the eyes of both the committee and the net. Is the net the final say? And who makes the tournament? The answer is simply no. There's actually an entire process on this selection, and the net is only one of the factors the committee uses to select teams. The committee only selects the 36 at-large bids in the tournament. The conference tournament winner automatically gets a bid into the tournament, no matter how bad they are. The selection committee then uses a number of factors to place teams on the S-curve, including record, strength of schedule, and the net to determine who will get those at-large bids. Relative subjective comparisons of individual teams close on the S-curve are also considered. Now, one last note that as a fan you probably want to know. The information provided in this video was based on the net for the 2022-23 season. The NCAA has made small tweaks to how the net works each season, so while most of the information will be current, you can always double check how the net has been adjusted on the NCAA's website every year. Thanks guys for checking out this video. If you're enjoying the series, please like and subscribe to the channel. And be sure to check out the weekly show on Tuesday mornings. In the next College Basketball 201 video, we'll be talking about the differences between the NBA and college basketball.